And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner. But the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you are willing to die, you can accomplish pretty much anything. God was willing to die. And because of his willingness to die, the devil couldn't touch him. Let's unpack that and make application. When Jesus went to be baptized by John at the River Jordan, he did not need to be baptized. John's baptism, you see, was a baptism of repentance. John was preparing Israel for the coming Messiah. And when the Messiah arrived, John wanted Israel to be prepared. If the Messiah was to lead Israel to a new and better place, then the people of Israel had better be worthy of his leadership. Hence, John calls the people to repent. He eviscerates the political, economic, religious mafia that had come to rule Jerusalem. And he offers baptism as a sign that you have chosen to leave your old life behind. Now, John's baptism, then, was, in a word, for sinners. And if there's one thing we know about Jesus, it's that he was not a sinner. So why did Jesus get baptized by John? Remember, even John says, hey, I ought not to be baptizing you. You ought to be baptizing me. What exactly is going on here? Well, it's important to understand that Jesus' ministry was not only to empathize with sinners, to sympathize with sinners, or to show mercy to sinners. It was even deeper than that. Jesus' ministry was to identify as a sinner. He bore our sin as an act of service to us. He was the sacrifice offered to the Father for the forgiveness of sins. And if it doesn't begin at his baptism, it certainly continues from his perfectly lived life up until that point 
But this is the beginning of his public ministry, so I'm going to say it begins at his baptism. So Jesus is humbling himself to the place of a sinner, even though he is not a sinner. He is voluntarily giving up his life so that the devil can tempt him with nothing. He is leaving everything on the table. He is taking on the identity of a sinner. So the one thing the devil loves to do, accuse, he cannot do to Jesus. And going under that water, Jesus is subverting the devil's attempts to ruin him. I'm reminded a little of a, the, the Roman Catholic understanding of exorcism. And the priest, whenever he participates in an exorcism, is highly encouraged, if not required, to go to confession first and to get rid of all sins, to confess every single sin to another priest and be forgiven of them. That is so the demon involved in the possession cannot accuse the priest of some secret sin and therefore embarrass him or shame him or have leverage over him. Now, whether or not we agree with the theology of Roman Catholic exorcism or even the priesthood and all of that is, is really not the point. The point is that if you don't want to be accused by the devil, then you've got to be honest about your sins. You've got to go, you know, slog around with the pigs in the mud. If you do, then the devil has nothing against you. If not, the devil will use them against you. You see, we will often refuse to admit our sins because of pride. And so we will have to choose between our pride and forgiveness. If we're willing to lose our pride, then the devil has no power over us. You see, it's, it's a you-can't-have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too type of situation. In other words, we will often have to choose between good things and easy things. This is true in every area of our life. If you want to grow your business, it will require long hours and a lot of commitment. If you're willing to put in the hours, then your competition has nothing to hold over you. If you want to have a successful marriage or friendship, it will require sacrifice. So long as you refuse to sacrifice, you are sowing the seeds of failure. If you want to be excellent at a trade or a hobby or a sport, or if you want to be an asset to a movement, you must commit. The degree to which you refuse to commit is the inverse amount of failure to which you are vulnerable. And if you want to commit to Christianity, well, I hate to tell you this, but Jesus has already named the price. He says, if you want to follow me, carry your cross. And in case you don't know, people in the ancient world who went around carrying their cross were about to die. And so our standard has already been set. You are either all in or you're not. And the degree to which you're not, the devil has a foothold. 
It can be and will be always used against you. But once you commit all the way, the devil has nothing. Once you are willing to voluntarily give up the very things he wants to take from you and uses against you, you are above reproach. Now, the ordinary way this affects us, as I'm hoping has already come into your mind, is day-to-day temptation. There always will be something that, uh, will, that we will want to turn to or trust in more than God. That's the violation of the first commandment, to have no other gods, right? Anything that we trust more than God. Now, we all know what those things are in our lives, It's those things that are ungodly. They offer us distraction or relief or a much-desired flow of endorphins. And until we are willing to kill that temptation, it will always be used against us. But if and when we are willing to put that temptation to death, then the devil can't use it against us. Now, I might say, If I were to qualify that a little more, the spirit is what gives us the power to defeat temptation. So pray in that moment that you could overcome temptation. You can't, but God can. It is our willingness, though, to preserve life that will be used against us, which is exactly why Jesus prepares us from the outset, from the time that we follow him, that this is the price that you have to pay. You have to be willing to pay with your life. Now, fortunately for us, we live in a relatively free country. Few of us uh, will ever be in a position to have to choose between our life and Jesus. Our temptations are going to be around quality of life, though there are many Christians in many parts of the world who absolutely have to choose between Jesus and their life. We might be canceled, we might lose our tax-exempt status, we might be sued, but certainly Christians in, uh, in China, in certain parts of Nigeria or India, they face the sword. In Canada, for example, there was a bill that was recently passed that outlaws all forms of what is called conversion therapy. Now, I'm not arguing for the rightness or wrongness of that. It's a complicated topic. I am only saying that at least this is the Canadian government now entering into the pastor's office or study and telling them how they can or cannot counsel people based on their deeply held convictions. We will almost certainly see Canadian pastors, perhaps some in the North American Lutheran Church, jailed in the coming months or years. But if any of those Christians choose to preserve life, either the comforts of life that they enjoy or their life itself, then the devil will always have leverage over them in getting them to deny Christ. But if they, and you and me by extension, are willing to pay the price, then we have nothing to be afraid of because the devil has nothing left to take. And so it is that we consider again the baptism of Jesus. 
What is the importance of it? I hope that we will see it all a little bit more clearly now. It is Jesus identifying as a sinner at the beginning of his ministry, just like he does on the cross at the end of his ministry. He is bearing the full weight of sin, being willing to pay the complete and total cost, and in so doing, he leaves the devil without a chance. Not only is the spiritual significance of this absolute and eternal and wonderful, this is what makes Jesus so compelling. It's what bathes him in an aura of truth that I certainly find in no other would-be savior. He never sought to be a warlord, right? A great man, a king, an emperor, or even a wealthy man about town. He was never bested by temptations of women or money or power. He did not luxuriate. He died without a penny to his name. The Romans fought over his tunic. Most amazing of all, though, was his willingness to be thought of as a sinner, even though he did not sin a single day in his life. Who among us could live with such a blow to our pride? Because Jesus was willing to go there, though, I at least find him to be an extremely hard person to deny. He has credibility, authenticity, integrity. Jesus was all in. So the devil could not lure him with a single false promise because Jesus lacked and wanted for nothing. That is how Jesus accomplished for you a sacrifice worthy of God's holiness, a sacrifice that you get credit for merely by faith. So if you wonder what the significance of the baptism of Jesus is, this is it. It is the beginning of Jesus identifying as a sinner for you. This identification finds its fullness on the cross for you. And we are reminded as well as shown that if we are willing to do the same, the devil can have no power over us. For you are baptized and you have been claimed as God's child. No, your baptism was not a baptism of repentance, but it was a baptism that brings us into God's kingdom, a kingdom ruled by the resurrected Christ, whom the devil could never defeat. Amen.